Please open your Bible or one of the few Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 9. We'll begin the reading at uh, verse 31. This uh, follows immediately after the conversion of Saul of Tarsus, who became the Apostle Paul, and uh, then the early part of his uh, life um, uh, immediately after his conversion. And we get to verse now, verse 31. But let's uh, ask the Lord for the blessing of his spirit as we read and hear his word. Our Father, indeed, we give you thanks that you are the great God of heaven and earth who looks with mercy upon your people and speaks truth and love to us. We thank you for your Son, our Savior, and we ask in his name for the blessing of the Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord, to receive your word. Help us to understand it rightly. Help us to apply it to our lives in ways that bear much fruit for your glory. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 9, verse 31, let us hear the word of God. It is written. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now, there was in Joppa a town not far from Lydda, a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days, she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa. And many believed in the Lord. And Peter stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon of Tanner. And now unto him who loves us, who has freed us from our sins by his blood, to Jesus Christ be all praise, honor, glory, and dominion forever and ever. Amen. 
This sermon has three major parts, not points, parts. And the first part, I'm going to remind you where we are in the book of Acts and show you how the storyline of the book of Acts, the historical narrative, is unfolding. In the second part, we're going to focus on these two miracles performed by the Apostle Peter. And we're going to address the question of miracles today and also the subject of prayers for physical healing. And then in the third part, we're going to focus on the ultimate relevance of Peter's miracles for us as they speak to us about the fullness of salvation in Jesus Christ. Okay, so part one, where are we in the book of Acts? You know how sometimes when you're reading a novel or or watching a movie, the focus will shift from, from one character or one location to another. If you go back to your English lit class, for example, in Dickens, A Tale of Two Cities, you know, in one chapter you might be in Paris, and then the next chapter you're in London, right? And those two line storylines are coming together and eventually will converge. Or you can think about a great uh, work of history, for example, a book about, let, let's say, World War II, and you've got different military activities and decisions that are being made in in one theater of battle and then another decision that's being made in another theater of battle and the conversations that are going on in in Washington and London and all that. And And a good historian can pull all of those threads together into one overarching narrative. Well, so it is with the book of Acts. Under the superintendence of the Holy Spirit, Luke is showing us how the spread of the early church ran along two lines identified with two major leaders, the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul. And you may remember that in the early chapters of Acts, chapters 2 through 8, um, Peter has been the, the primary figure there. Although we were introduced to another important figure in chapter 7, a young man named Saul of Tarsus, who you remember approved of the stoning of Stephen. But then when we get to chapter 9, Saul of Tarsus meets Jesus on the road to Damascus, or shall we say Jesus intervenes in Saul's life on the road to Damascus, and Saul of Tarsus is converted to faith in Jesus as the Christ and Lord of all, and he receives his calling as the apostle to the Gentiles. And then we read uh, the following passages about his uh, meeting with Ananias and his, his early days uh, there as he began his preaching ministry. But then at the end of uh, a, a chapter, 
toward the end of chapter 9, we learn that Paul flees uh, to Tarsus in Turkey, his hometown, due to uh, threats on his life. So we've gone from Peter to Paul. Now Paul goes to Tarsus, and so that now the focus is back on Peter and Peter's apostolic mission in Judea and Samaria, beyond the confines of Jerusalem. So that's where we are, these two lines uh, of development in the book of Acts. And now we're back with Peter. And in verses 32 through 42, Luke gives us a snapshot of one aspect of Peter's apostolic ministry, and that is the working of miracles, or better yet, better called signs and wonders, first in the city of Lydda, northwest of Jerusalem. Scripture says that Peter found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now, verse 33 says, Peter found a man named Aeneas. It sounds as though Peter, while he was in Lydda, intentionally sought out Aeneas. Maybe Peter had been told about Aeneas, who most probably, I think we can safely assume, was a member of the church in Lydda. The members of the church there were concerned about him. They cared for him, perhaps made it a point to get the word to, to Peter to see if he could heal him. And so Peter came looking for Aeneas and found him. And I think it's a wonderful thing that Luke mentions Aeneas by name. He's not mentioned anywhere else in the New Testament. You see, it wasn't that Aeneas was a particularly important person, except for the fact that every person is a particularly important person in the body of Christ. The church knew his name. He was known and loved and cared for. And that ought to be the case for every member of the church of Jesus Christ, every member of Covenant EPC. But we shouldn't miss the point now of who does the healing. Listen to Peter. Peter makes it clear by saying, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. Peter wasn't performing the miracle to call attention to himself or to aggrandize himself with popularity and power because it wasn't his power. The whole point of the miracle was to show the power of Jesus Christ. The whole point of the miracle was to show the power of Jesus Christ. Then, in verse 36 and following, we have the account of another miracle. 
This probably took place just a few days later because it happened in Joppa, a city on the western coast of Judea, not too far from Lydda. And in Joppa, there was another disciple named Tabitha or Dorcas. Luke describes her as a woman full of good works and acts of charity. In other words, she was a lovely Christian woman, faithful to the Lord, faithful to the church in Joppa. She was full of kindness and generosity, especially toward those less fortunate than she. She was dearly loved by her fellow church members there in Joppa. You know what I think? This is what I think. I think Tabitha was a covenant EPC kind of woman. That's what I think. Faithful, kind, always willing to serve. You know her. We are blessed in this congregation with a lot of Tabithas. And you know, we can't imagine the church without her. Tabitha was a seamstress who made tunics and other garments, and she may have had a particular ministry to the widows who showed Peter the garments that Tabitha had made. And the Scripture says simply, listen to this, in those days she became ill and died. This wonderful, beloved, faithful, kind, generous woman. She became ill and died. It sounds as though it might have been sudden and surprising and very sad. Very sad. Sad. Luke tells us that the members of the church washed her body preparing her for burial, and laid her body in an upper room. But then, since Joppa was near Lydda, and they'd heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men there to urge Peter to come back to Joppa with them. And perhaps Peter would be able to work a miracle for Tabitha, or or maybe, maybe they simply wanted Peter to perform the funeral and burial service. But when Peter arrived and went up to the upper room where Tabitha's body lay, he put everyone out of the room. You see, he wasn't a show-off. He wasn't calling attention to himself. He knelt down by her bed and prayed and said, Tabitha, arise. And Luke tells us that she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up and he gave her his hand and raised her up and presented her alive. Now, these were two amazing miracles performed by the Apostle Peter. But now, here's the question. What was the point of these miracles? What's the the so what of these 
miracles. And you may be thinking, now, Pastor John, come on. What do you mean? These were wonderful miracles that happened to Aeneas and, and, and Tabitha and to, to all those that loved them. What do, you, what do you mean, what's the point? These were wonderful things that happened. Well, in both cases, what does the Bible say was the point? The so what? After the healing of Aeneas, verse 35 says... All the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, Aeneas, and turned to the Lord. And then after the raising of Tabitha, verse 42 says, And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. The so what of these miracles was the advance of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the building up of his church. As wonderful as these miracles were, they were not primarily for the personal benefit of Aeneas and Tabitha. Now, no doubt, no doubt, Aeneas was thrilled. And his family and friends in the church were were thrilled. Of course they were. But his miraculous healing was not primarily about him as a private individual. It happened so that others would come to faith in Jesus Christ. And, and no doubt, Tabitha's family and friends in the church were thrilled. My goodness. Now, how Tabitha herself felt about it is a matter of conjecture since her conscious soul had been in paradise. But don't go down that rabbit trail. Come on back. Come on back. The point is that as wonderful as these miracles were, they had an even greater purpose than the physical healing of Aeneas and the raising to life of Tabitha. Here's the significance of the miracles. God the Father, through his Son, Jesus Christ, empowered the apostles with the Holy Spirit to perform these kinds of signs and wonders. That's really how they're referred to in Scripture. Signs and wonders so that the preaching of the gospel would be authenticated, vindicated, and verified as the Word of God, so that the church of Jesus Christ could be established and advance increasingly throughout all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, just as Jesus said. And here we are today on the other side of the globe, 2,000 years later, reading about these two miracles which authenticated the gospel of Jesus Christ through the apostolic mission of Peter in the first century. Those miracles took place in the first century so that you might hear the gospel of Jesus Christ in the 21st century and believe in him. Sometimes a question is asked, you know, we read a passage like this in the scripture and others like them, and we say, 
Well, why don't miracles like these happen today? And by miracles like these, I'm referring to miracles like these. A paralyzed man bedridden for eight years being instantaneously healed and a woman being raised from the dead. So why don't miracles, signs, and wonders like these happen today? Because these signs and wonders, and I'm somewhat repeating myself here to help you understand, these signs and wonders done by the apostles served the particular purpose of authenticating and verifying the gospel of Jesus Christ as the word of the living God, establishing and strengthening the church in the first century and are no longer necessary for that purpose today. These signs and wonders were necessary for and part of the laying of the foundation of the church by the apostles in the first century. But then these kinds of apostolic signs and wonders cease with the completion of the New Testament and then ultimately with the death of the apostles. The church foundation having been laid. But then this might raise another related question because there are other passages of Scripture, particularly uh, the miracles of Jesus, his healing miracles during his earthly ministry. So, so other questions might spin out of this, questions such as, what about prayers for healing today? Does God heal today? Of course God heals today. Most often, God heals through the means of his common grace given to humanity in general through medical science and technology, which to a very large degree, Christian civilization has made possible. Whenever a person is healed of a disease, it is ultimately God who has done the healing. Whether that patient or the doctor believes in God or not, or gives thanks to God or not. God is life. In him is life. And therefore, all life exists only because God ordains it and sustains it at every moment. And his blessing of common grace to humanity in general through medical science is a wonderful blessing indeed, and we thank God for it, and we pray for him to work through it, and to add his divine and supernatural blessing to it. And then sometimes, sometimes... God heals people in rather remarkable ways, with or without the common grace of modern medicine, ways that surprise us, spontaneous remissions, extraordinary unexpected recoveries, inexplicable disappearance of disease, or, or the prolonging of days, the prolonging of life with disease, longer than would have been expected ordinarily. Which, and, and, and in some sense, we might call these miracles, 
really probably a better way is just to say a remarkable providence. But in any case, they are not. They are not in the same category as the signs and wonders of the apostles such that we read about in this passage. But, you know, we have witnessed these kinds of unexpected healings, remarkable recoveries, prolonging of life even with disease, uh, within our own congregation. Praise God. We praise God for that. We give Him the glory. But if we are honest, we will acknowledge that these wonderful, extraordinary, remarkable, surprising healings occur sometimes. And that means sometimes. And that's the reason that they are so remarkable and wonderful and extraordinary and surprising, because they are not the norm. Now, why is this? Well, it is not because God is not all-powerful. He is. It is not because God is not all-good. He is. God is infinite and eternal, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-good, and full of compassion and mercy. He does all things well, and He does all His holy will. Psalm 115.3 says, Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever He pleases. So this is not about what God can or cannot do. God can do, and God does do, all His holy will. But the fact remains that in this fallen world, due to Adam's sin, every living thing is in bondage to corruption, Romans 8, 21, and is subject to death. It's as simple as what Luke wrote about Tabitha. She became ill and died. That is the sad norm in this fallen world. That's what people do. That's what lovely, kind, faithful, generous, Christian people do. They fall ill and die. You know that. And you know what it feels like when that happens. And you know what it feels like when God does not answer our prayers for the physical healing of a loved one. But when he doesn't, he is still God. The God of everlasting love, omnipotent power, and perfect wisdom, mercy, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. The point here is that when someone falls ill and dies... It's not because God didn't have the power to heal that person. And it's not because that person didn't have enough faith to believe that he or she would be healed. And it's not because his or her friends and family and church family didn't have enough faith, didn't pray the right words, or didn't pray enough. No, that's not it at all. And unfortunately, I've heard some Christians speak in that way. As though an extraordinary healing is to be expected in every case. And then people have more pain added to their grief because they feel as though God 
failed them or, or that they themselves failed their loved one because of their lack of faith or their weak prayers. That's simply not true. The reality in this fallen world is that on some day ordained by Almighty God, each of us will fall ill and die. Now, I'm not saying, no, I'm not, I'm not saying that prayer doesn't matter. Prayer does matter. Because God works in and through our prayers as he chooses to for his own purpose and in his own, for his own glory in ways that are beyond our understanding. We, we often hear it says prayer works. Well, a better way to say it is God works in and through our prayers according to his holy will. Yes, prayer matters, but prayer is not magic. And true prayer is always offered to the sovereign God of heaven and earth with a humble surrender to his holy will and a willing trust in his providence. Now, let me illustrate this with an example from the life of the Apostle Paul. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 26, Paul writes about his fellow worker, Epaphroditus. And Paul says this, listen carefully. He, Epaphroditus, has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Did you hear that? The Apostle Paul. Even in those circumstances, with his co-worker near to death, not even the Apostle Paul could lay his hands on Epaphroditus with the guarantee that he would be miraculously healed. The Apostle Paul did not name it and claim it. Because the Apostle Paul knew that he had no right to tell Almighty God what he had to do. The fact is, the Apostle Paul thought that his beloved co-worker, Epaphroditus, was going to die. But God had mercy, both on Epaphroditus and especially upon Paul. But that outcome was never guaranteed, not even for Paul and Epaphroditus. So, so we pray. We pour out our hearts to God. And God hears our prayers. And God answers our prayers. In accordance with His holy, perfect will, which is full of goodness, wisdom, and mercy. And in ways and for reasons that are far beyond our understanding. 
But now just one more thing. Let's go back to those miracles performed by Peter. I want you to take note of something. When when he healed Aeneas, he said, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And in the second miracle, Peter said, Tabitha, arise. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Now, on one level, a very ordinary word is being used repeatedly. The fact that it is being used repeatedly ought to get our attention. Did you hear it? Rise, arise, rose, raised. Don't those words sound very familiar? I think Luke is making a very profound point with a play on those words. The healing of Aeneas and the raising of Tabitha were signs and wonders foreshadowing, pointing toward the resurrection to eternal life of all those who have faith in Jesus Christ. Luke, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is telling you believer in Christ, you are Aeneas. You are Tabitha. There is a day coming when you will be raised in the fullness of life and health because Jesus Christ heals you. And I want you to think about the miracles which Jesus himself performed during his earthly ministry. They were indeed acts of compassion and kindness and mercy. But you know, the point of those miracles was to do two things, really. It wasn't really, it wasn't just for the the, the, the personal benefit of the particular individual, as wonderful as it was for that particular individual, it was to show who Jesus was and is. That's the first thing. And the second thing, it was to show the new creation which Jesus Christ will bring when he comes in power and glory. When he opened the eyes of the blind, it was so that his glory could be seen. When he opened the ears of the deaf, it was so his word could be heard. When he gave strength to the limbs of the lame, it was so they could get up and follow him. And it was to show that he was and is the one, the Son of God, who is bringing and shall bring a new creation full of life and health and peace and joy. But in order to do that, in order to bring that life, He had to take upon himself death. Death due to sin. The sin which has wreaked 
have it in this world, body and soul. How are you going to get rid of it? One man. One sinless man. One sinless man united with the divine nature. Took upon sin and death upon himself on a cross to destroy it. And rose again. To bring forth a new creation full of life and health and peace and joy. You see, dearly beloved, we know what the norm is in this sad and fallen world, but there's a day coming when everything sad will become untrue for those who know and love the Lord Jesus. The trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable nature must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. And when the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory, O Death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory, the full and final victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So in the face of illness and death, be cheerful, not fearful. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, even though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? To God be the glory. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, our great Savior. And we pray that by the Holy Spirit you would grant us faith to believe and rest ourselves, all that we are, in Him. In the assurance of the forgiveness of all our sins and life everlasting, so that even now we might live on the earth as citizens of heaven to the glory of your name. Amen. In response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, let us stand to affirm our faith as we say together the Philippian Creed. Dearly beloved Christians, in whom do you believe? We believe in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth 
and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen.